folks, we're going to just jump right into it on this one. No intros, though. I guess technically this is kind of like a bumper intro. One intro. Get used to it. Yeah. One intro and we're staying on topic. We're keeping it brief. Deal with it. Also, this is being earnest and we're your host. <laughs> uh, we had the pleasure of interviewing Dan Sheehan, who is yeah. a writer and author whose book, I Am Not a Wolf, is coming out today. Today. Uh, it hits stores. You can get it at indie stores. You can get it um, via Amazon, wherever you find books. Um, we got to talk with him. It was such a blast. And that is going to be the majority of this episode coming up. So, you know, I'm Josh. I'm Paula. And this is Being Earnest, a very sincere podcast. Uh, Paula, what's our topic this week? It's mammals-ish, kind yeah, of. Yeah, we started with mammals, but you know how it goes. If you're coming to us for information on mammals, honey, let me introduce you to Wikipedia. And let us introduce you to Dan Sheehan. Oh, look at that. We have an amazing guest today. We are joined by Dan Sheehan, who is, in addition to being an awesome human being, he's also an awesome writer. You definitely know his stuff. He writes all over. Uh, he runs the extremely popular Twitter account, I Am Not a Wolf, and has a book coming out today, Tuesday, called I Am Not a Wolf, and you should get it. It's amazing. Dan is so funny, and we're so excited to have him here. Hey, thank you guys so much for having me. This is a blast. Hi. Hey. We, I love starting a podcast like we haven't chatted before. Like, like we just dialed you in right now. <laughs> I just picked up the phone, and I'm thrilled <laughs> to be here. We have not been talking about iguanas <laughs> eating salad for... <laughs> It's such a podcast thing, though. It's like we went boop, boop, boop. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it's funny that with podcasts, you know, we have the internet and we can do this, but we still all act like it's a phone call. <laughs> yeah. Dial Hello? Hello? <laughs> um, Dan, tell us about your book. Tell us how it came to be. I'm so excited about it. I've been following it since the little inception. It's yeah, it's been like a very long journey for this. So like I had the I've been doing the account since I was in my technically I started in college, I guess. Um, I during finals uh, made a dating profile for the character that was just like a very obvious wolf pretending to be a man. Um, and like under height, I listed like three feet and under like, it, it was like, it was okay Cupid. And so it like had all these weird details. It was like diet, like carnivorous or whatever. Um, and it was like, that's where the all caps thing came from, where it was just like supposed to be like a wolf mashing a keyboard, um, just trying desperately to date. And like his profile was just, just like, ah, oh, geez, I love having thumbs. Like, um, and so I made it and it was banned within a day. And so oh. that was like kind of like the open and shut case. Um, and then later on, like I was talking to my friend about just like we were like talking about that whole thing. And uh, my friend was like, oh, you should like write more of that. Because like I was clearly like very like interested in like the idea of this character of like a wolf trying to do very mundane human things like not using uh, not pretending to be a human to like, you know, eat people or to like do, but to like gain access to a 401k or something like that, um, or to go on bad first dates. Like that was, that was the wolf's big end goal. And so I started the Twitter account, um, which picked up steam somewhere around like 2015, 2016. And then uh, I got the idea for the book. Shortly after that, like my, my original plan had been that I had like this whole story planned out and I was going to play it out on Twitter. 
Um, and I'm not sure if you've been on Twitter recently, but it is not really a place for that. It's, it's, not, it's not really a place for fun anymore. It's not. There was a brief window where Twitter was very fun and you could do <laughs> weird creative stuff on it. Um, now I feel like if you tried to do that, you would like, I'm sure people would still enjoy it, but it's like, there's the natural limitation of the medium, which is just like, you only have so many characters and there are these little static posts. Um, and then also there's just the factor of like, you get a bunch of people who would like think it's lame, who'd be dunking on you all the time. Um, <laughs> it's just like not a fun place to do creative things no. anymore. And have you noticed Twitter? I feel like so often you post something on Twitter and then people are just trying to one up your joke in the comments. Yeah. It, like, it, Stop. I, there was a brief period and maybe it was just cause I was like younger, fresh out of college and like excited about you know, <laughs> media opportunities or whatever. But I, I genu- genuinely was like, oh, there's so many like storytelling opportunities on, on in, in social media and in Twitter in particular. Um, and then once I figured out that wasn't going to be the future of storytelling, I like started mapping out this story. I really liked the idea of having it be uh, a choose your own path thing where you like as the reader got to try to maintain this, you know, silly ruse. Um And so the idea came together in like 2017 or 2018. I was like pitching it to various people because the first offer you get whenever uh, someone wants to turn a Twitter account into a book is like, let's print your tweets. And I didn't want to do that. (laughs) I was like, because I wanted to be a writer my entire life. I've written my entire life and I didn't want the first thing I put out into the world to just be like, here's something that I already did for free. (laughs) Um, Aren't you glad you paid for it? (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I, I was like, okay, so I want, I do want to do a book, but I have this whole story planned. And for some folks that was kind of like, they're like, all right, goodbye. Um, but we, we ended up crowdfunding it with, uh, this publishing group called Unbound, um, who basically lets you have full creative freedom over your idea and take it to your audience and like very Kickstarter-esque, you raise money. And then there's benefits for people who donate like a little bit more, um, and uh, basically, it allows you to like put something out in the world that probably wouldn't have made its way out there. And then once the project was uh, funded through them and printed through them, then a larger publisher, uh, Andrews McNeil in the U.S., picked it up for like now it's getting its full print run, like in bookstores and stuff like that. Um, so it's been like quite a journey at this point, like going on ten years. <laughs> yeah, that's so, so exciting, though. So Dan, you mentioned that there is kind of an interactive choose your own path element to this book. Um, what does that look like in practice um, without, you know, ruining the the book itself? So the whole uh, the whole idea is basically like the book starts on the beginning of a Friday morning. You're, you're, you're waking up, you're trying to take a shower um, because wolves don't shower particularly <laughs> often. So this is like an occasional and difficult thing for you. Um, and so after that, you are kind of presented with choices for how to go about your day. Um, the, you have the option of, you know, oh, like I'm, I'm running slightly late for work. Should I call a ride share? Should I get a bus? Um, and then eventually you can even make bigger decisions like, like, oh, man, it actually turns out I hate trying to fit in with humans. I'm going to return to the woods from whence I came. Um, and there's like a little side narrative about that. Um, the like choice two set format is very much a product of like just comedically. I think the format is incredible. I think it's a lot of fun to be able to tell jokes, not just in like in text, but then to make jokes that make more sense once you've read the other outcomes. Like it's definitely designed to be read 
you, you can read it like like a game and play through it, or you can read it front to back and it will still, you know, I think uh, be just as fun. Um, it, it is designed to be funnier as you read each part. Um, and so those uh, those choices basically, I think, allowed allow for people to have like a, a quick, funny experience with the book, but then also to like look at it as a whole and, you know, feel, uh, you know, feel like they've, they've experienced multiple versions of, of the same thing. Um, maybe it's just a product of my own indecision. <laughs> I'm so excited. I think this sounds awesome. I do have to warn you, Dan, I am going to cheat to get myself the best outcome. Oh, absolutely. I'm not I about that. Part of it. <laughs> you, you've got to do it. It's uh, <laughs> There are, there are a lot of like, there are, I'm trying to remember how many actual like ending endings there are. Like there's a lot of times where you can like die or get arrested or (laughs) um, have to return to the woods or something like that. Um, But there are a handful of like actual proper endings where the story ends. Um, And I think they're like equal parts, good and bad. Um, It's there, there are a bunch of different ways the story itself can end. Uh, And it's, it's a lot of fun getting there. Um, Yeah. There's, you know, like any of the of the story of like interactive fiction, you can always uh, accidentally die. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's always one of the answers in the even mm-hmm. like the ones for children are like, yeah. oh, you die, you die. That's you up. fell in a pit. I'm sorry. <laughs> the pirates carved you up and threw you overboard. <laughs> yeah. And that's Wait. just that's, and that's life. Chose. That's life at the end of the day. <laughs> Sometimes that happens. <laughs> um, Dan, how do you? even go about writing a choose your own path book like this so the way i did it originally when i first got the idea it was, it was like when you you know a lot of ideas when you first get them you just kind of get flooded with every possible thing you want to do so i just wrote down like each individual scene that i thought would be funny and i kept this like very big comprehensive set of notes and then eventually I knew that I was going to need to pull it into an outline for a story Mm -hmm. that you could like essentially play through. Um, And so I learned basically that this process is similar to how narrative designers make like video games and stuff like that. Um, I got one of those big sheets of like art paper um, that's just like huge. uh, And I would get like big poster boards and basically I just uh, wanted the biggest paper I could find um, because I could not map it out in like single uh, sheets of like loose leaf or anything like that. Um, and so I would roll it out and at the top, I would just like write intro morning. And then I would branch out in every direction, basically, you know, just doing like a big plot. Uh, so I would like take a line, put another box. It was like, all right, now you're at the office and there's these three things that can go in these directions. And so once I had everything I wanted to do mapped out, I went through and just basically tried to think about like, okay, like what actually happens here? Cause sometimes you'll have an idea that's just like, oh, this happens. And it's more of just like a one-line joke in your head. And you're like, okay, like that's funny in like a, in a format that values brevity more like Twitter. But can I write a scene out of it? Can I make it feel like worth being, you know, in something bigger and more narrative? And so a lot of stuff hits the cutting room floor at that point because, you know, you're just like trying to make, you still have to think about the story as a whole. If I did every single thing that I wanted to do it would have just been like all over the place, even more so than it already is. It would be, it would be very much so like it just, there, it would be 500 pages long if I did every weird little thing that I had <laughs> considered doing. Several um, volumes. Yeah, exactly. So I tried to like isolate it down to like a, a few larger chunks where it's like these choices happen. And the gist of it is that, you know, there's the morning and then there's when you're at your office and then there's, 
you can end up uh, in a uh, being forced to go to lunch with like a weird office bro that's like kind of your nemesis throughout the entirety of the story um who's just like a a big dumb dude who keeps getting promotions for nothing and um you have to like have like exactly yeah right like I in every like the job the, the book is like very heavily based off my time doing a lot of like terrible temp office jobs um I just right when I was out of college I was doing a lot of like uh barely above minimum wage office work where I would be like locked in a file room all day (laughs) just be like we're digitizing can you digitize and digitizing just meant you know alphabetizing or pulling things out or scanning things it was a nightmare um and so it was like a lot of based off of just like having to watch those dynamics as the absolute lowest person you know in that hierarchy yeah um and so that character is kind of an amalgam of just like a general uh, vibe you see in the business world (laughs) Of like the ultra masculine dude who he's powerful. So everyone has to like play along with like that sort of guy. Um, And so there's like a whole chunk where you have to go to lunch with him and two dudes who just sort of their name, Brett and Brent, and they agreed it with everything that he says. Um, (laughs) And so you have to go to a chicken wing restaurant and hear him loudly talk about the, you know, the date he's going on. Um, and so it's like, there's that chunk. And then there's like another chunk where you go to a coworker's retirement party at the end of the day. And then there's, you can skip the retirement party and go on a date. And then, yeah, there's the whole side chunk where you can go back to the woods and then you inadvertently kind of end up in this like parlor intrigue. Cause by the way, you're the king of the wolves. Um, so, <laughs> um, so a lot of it was just isolating what stories I wanted to tell, how I wanted to tell them and what choices would maximize um, not just the, the comedy of it all, but like the narrative opportunities um, that the format presents. That is so cool. And it's such like a, that process, not to get like too inside writing on it, but like Paula and I also had, you know, when we were writing for No Wrong Answers, there were definitely cards in there where once we wrote them all down and put all our ideas down, we were like, is this a joke that's only funny for us that we think is a funny construction of sentence that you could never actually ask another person (laughs) versus like, is this something that would actually stimulate conversation? Yeah. There's a word for that, right? Isn't it just kill your darlings? I think so. Yeah. It's an, yeah. I, I, yeah, unfortunately I had a whole lot of darlings. A so whole I, lot of darlings to kill, which I do know. Cause I was in a, a brief improv run that I think four people came to total with that name of the show. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Incredible. <laughs> three of them were my boyfriend three times <laughs> 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 had to kind of cancel a couple shows there because no one was there. Oh, I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's awesome. Dan, where can people get your book? Um, well, it's out today. So if you, uh, if you're in a place where you've got a favorite local indie bookstore, uh, you can pre, you can order it from them. I'm sorry. I've been saying pre-order for two weeks. Um, you can just order it from them now. It's Um, time to order. Yeah, it's time to order. Uh, so yeah, your local indie bookstore will have it. Uh, if you're in a spot where it's more remote, uh, indie bound, uh, can, you know, get it delivered to you. Uh, if you're in a spot where you got to use Amazon, Amazon's always available. Um, you know, I'm obviously, I'm team indie bookstore all the way. Um, but you know, obviously, uh, people live in different parts of the country. So, uh, whichever way you prefer to get it, uh, it's on Kindle, it's on audiobook as well. They, I was, I assumed that wasn't going to happen, um, because of the format. Yeah. Um, I did not read it. Um, this great voice actor, Jay Asang read it. Um, and he, 
when they were putting like the people who did the who were auditioning for it in front of me, like I didn't get final say or anything, but I heard Jay's and I was like, this is exactly how it's always sounded in my head. Like the all caps voice of the wolf talking, like it's how it sounds when I have like been reading and writing it for this entire time. Um, and I haven't gotten a chance to listen to the full thing yet because listening to my own writing keeps making me like want to condense down into a singular point. Yeah, uh, like that would be a uniquely bizarre experience. It's so weird because I've read it so many times. Like during, <laughs> you know, like by the end yeah. of it, I was just like, I hope it's good because it's mush to me. Now. Like, I've read <laughs> it so much. Um, so hearing it read back to me has been wild. But like the snippets I've I've listened to, like he he just really really nails it. Um, and like people who've been uh, gotten early copies of the audiobook have been saying that like it adds a whole other layer to it because it's like his timing and delivery is incredible. Uh, so it's available in audiobook as well. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Kindle, uh, physical book, wherever books are sold and audiobook on the audible store. Um, this is so cool. Dan, it's crazy. Dan, this is like a huge book. This is awesome. I'm really excited. I like, I genuinely, uh, it's something I've wanted to do my entire life. I've like wanted yeah. to write ever since I was a, a kid and you at a certain point find out that like that it's, you always think it's hard to do, uh, but you think it's hard to do for like creative reasons. And then you get older and realize that there's also like a whole second layer of business reasons that it's hard yeah. to do. And you get into creative stuff because you're trying to get away from business stuff. And then you find out that creative stuff has its own whole layer of business stuff. Yeah. Um, so the fact that I have somehow managed to like end up in this position makes me just feel like immensely lucky for all the people that helped me get here and all the folks yeah. that have like ever liked my writing. Cause like truly if, you know, if it weren't for like, I, I, I rag on Twitter a lot, but if it weren't for like, the semi-democratic nature of, of stuff like Twitter, I like wouldn't have a career. Like, you know, the, especially in the early days, Twitter let people just be like, I like what you're doing. And if that happened enough, it made it so that the business people had to pay attention to it. Um, right. So yeah, it, it, it's, it's crazy that it has even happened. I think on some level, I'm still like processing it, especially like after a year of being like, inside it's just like it feels almost like it's not real where i'm just like oh no like these people like people keep sending me you know like i have these but it's like in, in my head i'm like oh i'm the only one that has these like yeah it's yeah well especially like now that the world is kind of opening up again and it's has to feel like extra surreal i like i i was pretty terrified when it started because like the original before andrews mcneil picked it up the original release date from unbound was november of uh, 2020. Oh and so obviously when the pandemic hit, I was just like, oh, November 2020 is a pretty important. It literally, it was right before the election. Was oh the my gosh. Because uh, yeah. um, Unbound is a, is a UK based company. And so like, uh, I was like, I was like a little nervous, but it's like they do it for a living. They know they were like, it, people are still going to do things around the election, but I am just, I'm the king right. of anxiety sometimes. Um, and so I was just like very, very nervous about the whole thing. Um, and then when Andrews McNeil picked it up, um, they obviously then uh, picked the U.S. Relate, release date for later just because, like, editing, printing, and doing all that, we did all that, like, kind of a second time just to make sure that everything was set. Um, and then, like, printing just takes a long time. And so now it's, like, the timing of it, the fact that after all this anxiety about a book coming out during the pandemic, the fact that this book uh, about, like, uh, existential crises and offices is coming out right as everyone is re-entering their office with an existential crisis. <laughs> um, feels uh, feels lucky. Lucky is a weird word to use after all this. Um, but at the very least, I'm glad it is coming out into a world that 
uh, I think it will be receptive of it. Um, I was just like, are we ever going to go back to like, you know, working in places? Like, are any of these dynamics even going to matter? And like, you know, a lot of that stuff never goes away. So yeah, um, absolutely. Now more than ever. Yeah. (laughs) Again, Um, it is called, I am not a wolf. It is out today, today, Tuesday. Um, Dan is not a wolf. Dan Sheehan is not a wolf, but we Uh, are going to ask you. We don't know for sure. We haven't, we we haven't read the book yet. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I heard Um, he had a dating profile at one time that said he was. Yeah. It's true. (laughs) Um, And the internet is forever, but uh, we are all mammals. And today's topic is about mammals. And so uh, we'd love to get your takes on a couple of things here. We have a couple questions for you. Yes, please. Josh, why is it so disgusting for to hear the phrase, we are all mammals? Like, <laughs> ugh. <laughs> I once at the Field Museum in Chicago, uh, I was, we were in the uh, the evolving planet uh, yeah. thing where they, they talk about like evolution. Um, and there's just this room where they're like, what's the most complex mammal on you? pull aside like a curtain and it's a mirror and it's just like hello it's you um and this little kid was screaming no i am not he, the idea that he was a mammal made him so furious it made him so upset that he was a mammal because there was just this whole room showing all these other mammals and like as a child it's very disturbing to see yourself connected to things that you've seen like solely as these like outside mysterious entities like animals are very weird when you're small yeah Um, and so i think uh it was overwhelming for him to suddenly have the knowledge that he was a mammal Um, i think it's overwhelming for me right now as an adult (laughs) (laughs) i try not to think about it too much because yeah it is it's weird to think about how uh, our connection to nature (laughs) and then it's just like we are basically just like we're just mammals that tricked ourselves into paying taxes Yeah, for better, we both are able to make complex tools and treat each other nicely when we want to. But also, we invented anxiety. Yeah, exactly. Like, I've never seen a raccoon wondering if his friends are mad at him. (laughs) I always think of that with dogs. I mean, I know there's a million tweets out there and stuff, but, you know, dogs were wolves. And then my family's dog, Simon, is a nine-pound Maltese who uh, demands he wears a sweater at all times. Like, or he, and then he won't go outside if it's at all damp. And it's like, how is he descended from anything? It's, it's pretty, I mean, it, I guess to that same effect, it's like when you look at a chicken and you're like, in a different world, you were like a dinosaur. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. tough. <laughs> it's like, that's gotta be tough for you. Like, it's gotta be like what my grandparents thought when I started taking improv classes, right? <laughs> My grandpa was like, I fought in a war. And I'm like, I would really like to just nail down yes and and like work <laughs> on my object work. And like, I, say, I can pretend to hold a shovel. So, yeah, when I drink a glass of water, I want it to look like there was water. <laughs> I can feel the weight of the object. And my grandpa then says something about Okinawa. And I'm like, you know, well, sorry, got to get to a show. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I do have a show at midnight at a bar basement on a Tuesday. <laughs> there might be people there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, two. What shows were you playing? <laughs> Dan, did you have pets growing up at all? I did, yeah. I had a handful of, like, uh, my main pet was, we had a cat, we had a cat, like all through growing up. She passed away, unfortunately, last year at the age of 19, but uh, that is like a hundred thousand years old for cats. Wow. Um, so yeah, Nora was her name. She was a black cat. Um, 
she was very cute very uh she she did that old cat thing where she would just yell at you she would just meow at you all the time which was very sweet um because we would get to do like a classic like bit where i would pretend that we were talking and i would respond as though i understood what she was saying just genuinely funny 10 out of 10 times yeah, she was an ideal comedic partner in that regard. <laughs> um, and so uh, we had her and then I had like a variety of like weird little side pets, you know, like when you're a kid, you just kind of pick up loose monsters, I guess, like <laughs> where I had like a grow your own frog kit. Um, Did it work? Like from a tadpole? They So they send you, when you think about it, it's actually a really grim prospect. They send you like, <laughs> 40 tadpoles, um, knowing that not only, like, almost none of them will arrive alive. Um, Oh, my God. So right away. There's, like, a, I mean, I guess this is, like, what happens with, like, most, like, I guess, like, frog reproduction just happens externally out in the world where it's just, like, tadpoles are designed to not all make it to uh yeah it's like a scattershot approach rather than like child rearing yeah yeah and so of those tadpoles i think like two or three like grew legs and started swimming around and then i ended up with one frog from all that oh my Um, god that is so dramatic for a kid yeah you really i mean uh what I, i think i've seen it I might butcher the quote here, but nature is, is Satan's church or something like that. Um, it's, it's pretty grim. Um, it's, and so it's like, uh, they, I got this one frog and then after it watched like all of its siblings die, uh, it got to go from the little growing tin that it was living in where it was just like growing into a frog into a surf themed biome. <laughs> so imagine you've just watched 39 of your siblings die these like horrible deaths and then you just get put in front of a little villa with like a big fake wave and a surfboard and it's just like surf frogs i do like the idea that this game is essentially like child plays god and in in this world like the 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 reward for surviving is you go to surf heaven. You get to live alone in surf heaven. Um, so, so then as these tadpoles were dying off one by one, did did little kid Dan have to go and fish out the dead tadpoles? Or I think my parents mostly took care of that for me. Um, horrific thing. Yeah. Well, I think at that point, like, we, we'd had a good number of fish. And um, I think my, my parents were just kind of used to... <laughs> just getting rid of fish. Um, my mom got my dad a aquarium, uh, for his birthday one time. And then my dad, uh, was like, my dad liked it. My dad had like wanted aquarium an aquarium, but like, just didn't know how much like upkeep went into them. So like very yeah. quickly, uh, like a lot of the fish, uh, passed away and then the aquarium was gone. It's just kind of like a dark chapter in the Sheehan family history. <laughs> um, and so we were very used to disposing of fish. Um, um, chronologically, I'm not sure if that was before or after, but one definitely gave us strength to do the other. <laughs> to move um, into the next chapter. Okay, yeah, the next chapter of animal death. <laughs> fish are horrible to take care of. Oh, yeah. It is. Because they don't know you. They don't know you. They don't care about you. You have to constantly be cleaning that tank. I, so my girlfriend once found me watching a video of a tortoise live feeding or a turtle live feeding um where it's just like a turtle like chasing after a fish and like they go they always get pretty grisly towards the end um yeah and 
we were thinking about it and realized that like basically to a tortoise, a fish is just like lettuce that can feel pain. And it's like, that's kind of how I see fish where it's just like, you're basically food with eyes. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So it's like having them as pets has always been really weird to me. I have like a weird fish thing. I'm like, kind of, I, I don't, this is a way I, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this, like in a public, uh, I'm, I'm kind of afraid of fish. I kind of like, they, they give me like, the, not, it's not like if I see the one, like I'll scream, yeah. but it's just like something about them makes me uneasy. They're, um, I think fish are very unsettling. It's the eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's the eyes and the fact that they can breathe underwater. Yeah. And then it's when they die, they just sort of float and they're just suspended in, in the air, like just yeah. decaying in front of all like every, and then the other ones will eat them. It's a nightmare. Um, horrifying and I think you're right like I don't think of them as an animal like so I think yeah, that's why like, like eyes are even more horrible because they never blink yeah like what they are show you, emotion yeah what the hell are you trying to prove yeah. I had um in college I had a I had a, a massive crush on Anderson Cooper which did not work out for me uh <laughs> but I had a goldfish that I named Anderfin Cooper because that's very very, fun. very clever very fun this thing would not die it, I mean, it lived for, I think, two or three years, and the upkeep was constant. Oh, and yeah. He, he just had a miserable life, and I had a miserable time owning him. You know, <sighs> and you just constantly have to clean, and then, you know, you forget for a couple weeks, and then there's just this horrible fish tank. And I did the same thing in college, where, like, the first week of college, I got a small pet, which, in retrospect, <laughs> turned out to be the dumbest idea, because it's like I was trying to meet people, and I was like, oh, sorry. I like I I did a fiddler crab. Um, <laughs> this this is like kind of embarrassing, just because it's like such a clear attempt by an eighteen year old to like seem interesting. <laughs> Whereas like we all went to this pet shop and like we were all just like looking at pets, and I actually got one. And I think everyone was like, "Whoa!" Um, someone like someone got a goldfish, um, which is like a normal thing to get, but I got this like little crab, and uh, so I had this crab in my room that I named Reptar because like 90s Nickelodeon Perfect. references yeah. were very big in 2009. Um, and so I had this little crab and I briefly thought he had died. And then he, it turned out was just molting. I woke up one day and there was oh. a second crab in there and it was just his skin that he had. Abandoned. Oh um, no. And I was it after, after three to five weeks of being the crab guy in my dorm. <laughs> um, Good reputation for right away in college. Just a great thing to have. Yeah. It's, Ostensibly, when you go to college, there's always like the subtext of like trying to meet romantic partners, and being the crab guy does not help with that. Um, (laughs) They weren't flocking to you. They were not, and so Dan has a crab in his room. Dan has a crab. I remember, like the first week, it was novel, and people came and looked at him, and they were like, "Yeah, dude, enjoy your crab. We're gonna go to a party." And you can't pet it. That's not like a fun thing to have. No, one time a guy walked in on me in the bathroom cleaning it. And there was just a crab in a cup and me me cleaning out this big bowl that was, it would get so like gristly and gross after just like one week of one crab. I don't understand. Like there's a reason we eat them Um, because they're not great pets. Um, I, Dan, I, I, I got a crab. I got a hermit crab in high school in an attempt to be quirky and cool it's crabs are a great quirky pet yeah and it also sucked and they and then it died and i didn't know it was dead because like it never did anything yeah because when they're alive they're not like mr exciting you know they sit still for most of the day 
It's not like, whoa, he's acting different today. And then this dead crab was just in my room. And then finally it smelled so horrible that I was like, something is wrong. That's exactly how it went down with Reptar. Um, I <laughs> thought he was molting again. And I think he died like mid-molt. Oh, no. Um, and I literally, it was, uh, I changed over to a different uh, dorm because my dorm was getting like demolished. Um and we had to move from one room to another. And I like, he hadn't moved for like two weeks and I like gave it like a little shake and just saw that kind of like unnatural bob that dead <laughs> things have. And I was just like, all right, I think he's done. And I like poured most of the water out of the tank and just overhand lobbed it into a dumpster. And that was the end of my crap. And I was, every other pet I've ever had that's passed away has been given this like honorable burial, but Reptar did not get that. He was more nuisance than anything. A Viking funeral. yeah well dan we have a game for you that we'd like to play um and we have uh, a list of specific types of people and we'd love to get your just gut reaction on what type of exotic pet they would have okay mammal or otherwise um you're playing fast and loose with the mammal theme this week yeah (laughs) Yeah, i was gonna say (laughs) I pivoted to fish and crabs while on the mammal. No, we were leaning in. (laughs) And I was in my head being like, fish can breathe mammal. Yeah. Now I'm just imagining a hairy fish. (laughs) No, I don't like that. A fish with a beautiful head of hair. (laughs) So our first type of person, any type of exotic pet, uh, Dan, an old timey uh, gold prospector. Ooh, old timey gold prospector. Um, I feel like I could see, because this is like very 1800s, very like, go west. Um, I could see some sort of like bird situation going on there. I could see like a carrier pigeon for informing friends when he has found gold. Um, I could see like a falconry situation for getting varmints to cook over the fire. Ooh, Um, I like that. Like a companion. Yeah, because like a bird can be a pal. I think birds are one of those animals that I think you can kind of bond with. Yeah. Um, Depends on the bird. Especially a falcon. Yeah. Uh, Have you guys been to medieval times recently? I mean, not pandemic recently, but like within the- Yeah, I went three times this year and everyone kept yelling at me. (laughs) (laughs) There is a a full-on falconry show at the beginning of medieval times. Yeah. It's incredible. It's wild. And somebody always sticks their arm up. And then uh, one of the poor like teenagers that is working there has to rush over and be like, do not do that. He will land on your arm. <laughs> and yeah, there's a reason those gloves are like super thick. <laughs> yeah, right. Their feet are knives. Yeah. <laughs> land on me. Oh my gosh. I was obsessed with falconry for a long time as a child. It's it's wild. I think that'd be a sick pandemic hobby to walk out of this with. It's very expensive. You need a house for your birds. Oh, I guess that makes sense. They can't just like live in your apartment. Yeah, it's not like it's kind of like having a horse where it's like you have to have like a place to keep them and a place to go like fly with them and use them. And so it's like, I don't know. Yeah, one of my, one of my big pet topics is making sure that falconry is accessible to people of all income levels. <laughs> <laughs> not just people with good breeding. Yeah, exactly. Like people j- just because I can't get a falcon that's purebred doesn't mean that I can't find a falcon. And make them my uh, Josh, you have a big apartment. You could get into falconry. Uh, you know, it's not that big, but it is. There's a lot of windows. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's- imagine, imagine me just like having a like a pigeon coop on top of the apartment, but just a bunch of falcons. 
bring me all the rats in the city. Um, <laughs> okay, next one. Walt Disney World Snow White, who has been fired from her job for her bad temper. Okay, so Walt Disney World Snow White, she's been fired because she's feeling pretty negative. Mm-hmm. Um, she's just like bad temper, so she's probably getting like mad at kids who are trying, you know, so she doesn't want something super clingy. Right. Um, I feel like you go home and just see like want like a ball python or something. Like a, oh, that's I, I feel like she'd be like a like a reptile gal. Yeah, um, I think you're right. Where you're just like, like one of the ones where it's like a big tank with the big lamps. And it's like, when you come in, like, that's the main thrust of the apartment. And you're just like, oh, I am hanging out with a snake person. Fully um, a snake. And there's always the sound of the lamps from the snake. Yeah. Like a hiss, uh, not a snake hiss, but a lamp yes. hiss. Oh, yeah. oh, I could never do a snake as a pet, but I think that she would. I think you're right. I'm imagining her like plopping down on the couch, whipping out like a menthol and being like in the snow white costume and being like, all right, Lucille, another one down. And it's like yeah. a whole closet full of Disney princess dresses that she's been fired from. Talking to the snake about like how the Disney corporation is like making her like, like how she was in the right and, and all the kids <laughs> were in the wrong. And it's just like, you know, like, oh, the princesses should be allowed to yell. Sometimes the kids suck. Like, <laughs> I think the snake is a good pet for that though because the snake is going to be on your side. Yeah, exactly. You need an animal that like, that has an energy that matches that, you know, <laughs> like, and I feel like for a big temper, you're not going to have something like a cat or a dog that like needs your attention all the time. Yeah. Um, and if we're going more exotic, I feel like reptile, like a reptile is like a very good, like arm's length pet. Cause they're not, they don't play really. I mean, some of them, I guess kind of do. I, I know I some think, people who made it work. Yeah. I think it's, I think some people kind of like force that, but yeah, you they, know, they think they play, but mm-hmm. It's like, if you have you met a dog? Because <laughs> yeah, that's playing. If this is what you're looking for. Yeah. Like, um, I, I've tried to sell my girlfriend on getting a tortoise before, and um, nothing she, doing. Team tortoise, not happening? She, well, she says that they don't love you. And I looked up an article thinking I was going to immediately, like, read off all these, like, points of refutation. And it was like, it was like, basically, like, does my tortoise love me? And it was basically 10 points that were like, no. But it's like it does enjoy when you bring it food. And <laughs> seeing that might make you happy. You know, trust that it is not love and it doesn't know we who you promise are. promise it is not thinking about you. Yeah. It's really just relationship advice at the end of the day. It's like even if it makes only you happy, it's important to know that it needs to be happy too. <laughs> tortoise loves when you're not in the room yeah (laughs) yeah it's like your tortoise might get excited if it sees you carrying over a big thing of lettuce in the same way that it would get excited for like a particularly shady patch of rock like (laughs) (laughs) so if you're okay with being on that tier then tortoises are the pet for you i personally just like the idea of having something where i can look at it and be like oh you're gonna have like a whole hundred year story and a lot of it's not gonna involve me yeah, yeah that at this point, if I get a tortoise, it's the executor of my estate. Like, I, yeah, yeah, everything you own goes to that tortoise. Mm-hmm. Hello, well, fellow traveler. Yeah, <laughs> there's some real bummers of stories where, like, uh, somebody will get like a parrot as a kid, and then all of a sudden they just have a parrot forever. Yeah, like whether or not they want. Yeah, to, there's like, that like African gray something par- parrot that lives seventy years or something. And they're like crazy that. smart too. Yeah. 
and that's just yours to take care of. Like, yeah. congratulations. Or like stories of, yeah, like somebody who gets a tortoise when they're, you know, uh, when they're young and then they, their, their life ends before the tortoises does. And so yeah. this tortoise is just homeless because the only person who was willing to take care of it turned 85 and like, you know, couldn't change out its mulch every day. Like you need to. You guys, let's um, open those tortoises. I, that's what I want to do. I'm telling you, I just want to, I want to get a big yard full of tortoises. There was at Como Park, it's a zoo in St. Paul. And my dad is from St. Paul. And when he was a kid, they would just, these giant tortoises, and they would just put the kids on top of the tortoises and be like, ride around, dude, have fun. And then when I was a kid, we went to Como Park and those goddamn tortoises were still there. Wow. Isn't that wild? And your they dad rode him again. Old. And my dad still <laughs> flopped on top and took off. <laughs> um, okay, our next uh, what type of pet would you pair this person with, Dan, is um, uh, let's do a regional CC's pizza franchise owner. Ooh, regional CC's pizza franchise owner. So that's buffet-style pizza. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be somebody who really likes kind of having like a Wild West worth of choices. Um mm-hmm. I really love the amount of thought you're putting into it. It is the appropriate amount of thought. Because yeah, you're you, like decision for them. I want to do these theoretical people justice. I want yeah. them to have a pet that really um, <laughs> matches who they are. Uh, so I feel like I could see this guy having less like one big pet, like a snake or something like that. And more like, I'm trying to think if this is like a couple of rats guy. <laughs> A menagerie, yeah. Yeah, or like a handful of lizards guy. And I'm <laughs> leaning towards couple of rats guy. Because, um, like, allegedly, I don't believe this, but I have friends who staunchly staunchly do and, you know, live their lives this way. Rats are, apparently make great pets. I have a friend um, who is the same, makes the same argument, and they're like, they're the best pet. And for me, No. Yeah, the company line makes me think that there's like meetings for rat people where they all get together and they're like, all right, everyone remember, like rats are great pets. Like it's just like- This is our talking points for 2021. They're like going, yeah, going through like a list like of, of reasons rats are not gross. Um, and it's like, I've seen pictures of the ones that are like washed and didn't come from like under the trash. And like, they seem a little cuter, I guess. Um, but it's, the, the tails are gross, man. It's just, it's, like a kind of bald cat that also like is confirmed to have been a vector of disease for centuries. Yeah. At some, and I don't want to yuck anyone's yum. And if, if all our listeners are rat people, that's great. But at some point when you hear people talking about how great rats are, it's like, just, just get a cat. Yeah. It's no, doing I'm, the same thing. I'm of the same mind. I feel like, uh, I, I just, you know, I, I don't see the appeal. I'm very happy for my friends who found rat happiness. I love um, that for them. Yeah. I'm, I'm, it's so, yeah, exactly. It's like, you know, I'm not going to yuck their yum, but they can't yuck my yum. And in this case, my yum is not having a rat. <laughs> but sometimes people are like, yeah, you can walk them on a leash. They come when they're called. And you're like, this is like another type of animal. <laughs> yeah. A perhaps more accessible type of animal that would is less likely to get me sick. That's the other <laughs> thing too, is like, like the cleaning up after a rat, I think can make you very ill. Cause like, that's the main reason you don't want them in your house is because they can make you sick. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I don't I know. Mean, I hope we get a, the, the, the rat society comes out for this and we all end up rat people. 
Yeah. Oh boy, here comes rat Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Big rat coming down. (laughs) Big rat energy. The only big rat I recognize is that one they inflate at Union Strikes. Yes, exactly. Uh, I love that thing. Scabby the rat. Yeah. He's uh, an incredible. I love the idea that they just made a giant, terrifying rat that's. Uh, in support of unions. I think that rules. Yeah. Is that a national thing or is that only a Chicago thing? I'm not sure. I I mean, I, I was raised in Chicago, so that's the only place I've really seen Scabby. Yeah. Um, I hope it's national. I hope more people get to know. Um, but yeah, it's the first time I saw it, I remember, I think it was just driving through like a suburb and it like scared me when I was a little <laughs> kid. I was like, Mom, what, what is that for? And the older I got, I was like, no, he's he's good. <laughs> he's a good rat he protects collective bargaining rights yeah exactly the rat is making sure that everyone gets paid appropriately and has the ability to have a seat at the table with management and that's important to both the rat and the people and i think it's cool that the rat takes time out of his day to of being a rat to do that the rat has read has a really well-worn book uh version of howard zinn's the people's history of the united states of america (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or it's like a like a, the enemy of my enemy is my friend thing and the rat doesn't really know anything about unions but just hates people who cross picket lines <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they're not pro-union they're anti-territorial disputes yeah <laughs> I'm trying to see if I can get us a price on how much a union rat in, like an inflatable rat costs but you gotta call to find out mm-hmm. <laughs> I almost don't want to put this question out into the world, but it's it's been inside of my brain for a couple of hours now, and I I just can't do it alone. And I'm sorry to both you, Paula and Dan. I'm sorry to our listeners that I have to bring this into the world, but I just can't live with this burden anymore. If you could pick a non-mammal that could make milk, what would you want it to be? What animal's milk would you want? Oh, wow. Oh, that's so disgusting. What (laughs) non-mammal's milk? And we can't say, like, almond milk. No. No, it's got to be an animal. A non-plant. Yeah, like a a living, breathing, sentient. Non-mammal? Non-mammal. Well, because mammals, that's the whole thing with mammals. Yeah, mammals are the the milk creatures. Yeah, it's hair and milk. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> horrible. When you put it like that, that's such a terrible pitch for oh. mammals. <laughs> you know, and they're milk. Hair and milk. Yeah. <laughs> and there are a couple that lay eggs, which are kind of cool, but those are in Australia. Oh, yeah. God. Oh, man. Okay. I can it, tell you whatever we pick, I'm not touching the milk. I'm trying to think of something that feels clean, <laughs> like a clean non mammal. So that's going to take. Um, that makes me think like a, an aquatic life. Yeah, but whales are mammals, so whale milk's off uh, the table. Milk. What about um, crab milk? Ooh, crab milk. Yeah, because imagine them getting milked. That'd be kind of fun. I I feel like milking a crab, the crab can't possibly survive it. I feel like that's just juice. Crab <laughs> yeah. um, oil. You know, I was, there's something kind of majestic about, imagine like you're driving through the fields of Nebraska on a road trip and, and, you know, instead of getting that cow smell, it's just miles and miles of emu. Ooh, <laughs> emu milk. Like, like large land oh. birds. 
cassowary milk, I feel like would be very hard one. Those <laughs> birds can kill you. Um, it might make you strong. Hundreds of dollars for a pint. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I feel like most reptiles are off the table. Like, you know, I'm a big tortoise fan, but I don't want to drink tortoise milk. Um, no, no, I couldn't I don't, do that. I don't want to drink lizard milk of any kind. That does feel like something that would be at like a uh, one of those like very fancy five star restaurants, though. Oh, yeah. And people like, would go nuts for it for like six months until an yeah. article came out that was like, it's terrible and everyone <laughs> should stop. This is extremely unethical. <laughs> but for a little bit, it's just like three Cheerios floating in iguana milk. And they're like, yeah. it's an aperitif. And you're like, all right. <laughs> and, and maybe this makes it better or worse. But if you can milk something, you can make cheese out of it, too. Oh, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to have lizard cheese. No, Josh. It's true, though. You're right, and we need to, we need to consider it in our decision making. Oh God, this is a whole. I thing. mean, I just, I'm not even comfortable with the fact that you can probably make whale cheese. <laughs> oh my God. Whale oh. butter. This has ruined whales. For whale me. butter, horse butter. Oh God, just any of it. But I mean, honestly, I, I think the fact that cow butter is normal to us is only because of societal condition. I think <laughs> there was a moment where it could have been any of these and someone mm -hmm. with cow. And then that's just what we are fine with now. Like I am as Midwestern as anyone. Like I am a milk apologist, but I also <laughs> I also recognize that it's it's a, it's a little freak drink kind of it's <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's bizarre that we continue drinking it past baby times. It's supposed to make babies strong. And then we're just like, what if we build most of our food around the strong baby beverage? I can't stop picturing what this like terrible like tortoise milk would look like. Because it's not going to look like cow milk. I, yeah. Probably gonna I feel like horrible. I feel like any lizard milk or any reptile milk is going to be like really like I'm sorry, chunky. I'm yeah. <laughs> and I think it's just going to be like off color. Yeah, like blue yeah. undertones. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be dark. It's going to be like a darker colored milk. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's any animal where I'm like, sign me up. But, <laughs> I'm in. Like, I think that a big bird is feeling like the most, uh, the most likely for me personally to try the milk. Uh, yeah, I think like a large bird definitely has the most potential yeah. for it. I'm like a little uncomfortable as to like where it would come from. Yeah. But I feel like that, the nitty gritty of that, I prefer to almost just not see. Before we let you go, a couple things. Um, first, just a reminder, uh, Dan's book, I Am Not a Wolf, uh, is out today wherever you get books. Um, try to get from an indie bookstore if you can. Um, if you have to get it from Amazon, that's okay too because the money goes to Dan. Um, and... <laughs> Going to become the next Jeff Bezos. Yeah, that's that's the plan. <laughs> Do not tell Scabby the Rat. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we let you go fully, um, we have a segment at the end of our show usually called Earnest Moment of the Week, where listeners <laughs> or Paula or I will talk about earnest things that happened to us in the recent past. Um, Dan, has anything earnest happened to you that you'd like to share with the listenership? Yeah, I had, um, obviously I think for a lot of people, the last like couple weeks have been 
a, a, a nice reprieve from uh, the year prior. Uh, I think like, you know, I hit shot two, my girlfriend got shot too. Um, the, my entire family for the most part is, is taken care of. Uh, and so I was just like having a very good day. I was walking around, um, in my neighborhood, uh, and like, uh, I live in LA and so it was like very like hot out. It was like a very un unnaturally warm day, um, which I was like very into because it had been kind of like overcast and chilly for a little bit. Uh, and I saw one of my favorite little LA things is very on brand for what we've been talking about today. Uh, I saw a little lizard. Uh, occasionally just like a little lizard will cross your path and just like kind of look at you and freeze for a moment. And like, you look at the lizard and the lizard looks at you and there's just this like weird little moment where you're just like, we are recognizing each other, even though we like are vastly different things. Uh, and then it just skitters away and you never see it again. Um, and it was just like one of those moments where I was like, I was all vexed up. I was seeing friends. Uh, you know, this book is coming out after years of wanting to make this happen. And like, uh, I just, I feel, I felt very like, uh, grateful for everything that was happening and in particular i was stoked to see a lizard uh, as i always am so that's, that's it was a good one it was a very nice little moment after a year of stressful ones uh yeah. so it's it's it, it's been a good week it's been a good couple of weeks so. a good little omen lizard yeah yeah that's what i'm hoping for oh that's so exciting that's such a good one well Thank you, Dan Sheehan, for being with us. Dan, if people want to find you outside of just your book coming out, where can people find you, read your writing, follow what you're doing? Yeah, um, I am on Twitter at It's Dan Sheehan. Um, the account that the book is based off of is at Sick of Wolves. Um, after the book comes out, I'm going to take a little break from social media. I have been uh, very mired in it for a very long time, and I'm looking forward to just kind of focusing on uh, whatever comes next. Uh, so if you're looking to read more of my stuff, uh, I have a website, uh, danshean.fyi. There are like a lot of other Dan Sheehan, so I could not snag oh. danshean.com. No, um, .fyi, I didn't even realize was an option, and that is now the best ending. Yeah, right? I didn't realize it was out there, and then when I saw it, I was like, oh, that's like pretty much exactly what uh, what I was looking for from my yeah. website. Uh, it has a bunch of samples of my writing on it. It has a bunch of stuff that I've done. I did like a great video series with uh, two great Chicago folks, Carrie Allen and Nick Moore, uh, called Depressipes. It's still uh, sitting on my website. Um, it's just basically like gross out food videos uh, in the style of like Tasty or something like that. Um, so we filmed the, it, it's, a, it's a very fun time and Carrie and Nick just like really nail. It looks beautiful for what it is, which is mm -hmm. mostly just me mashing corn around. Yes. Um, so I have those videos there along with like a ton of samples of my writing. Um, I have a newsletter called Brainworms, um, where I will occasionally post essays about various internet culture things that interest me. Um, there are seven or eight installments of that to check out, and I uh, periodically post more. Um, and yeah, so the the website, danshean.fyi, Twitter, um, Instagram, you can find like old wolf posts and stuff up there. I, I, I post fairly regularly on that as well. Um, and yeah, those are the best spots to find me. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. This was so fun to have you on. Um, I personally could not be more excited to read the book. Um, and also your advice on, uh, on on milking animals is is very enlightening and helpful. Thank you so much. I think <laughs> the next part of my career is going to be focus on, on animal milk. Um, Non-mammal milk is going to be huge in the future, I think. So. Uh, well, thank you so much. And, and all our listeners, like we will, we will, of course, post links to Dan's work, to Dan's book, uh, to make it nice and easy. Just go hit that, buy that book. Thank you guys so much.
Thank you. Thanks, Dan. Thank you to Dan. That was really fun. Again, his book is I Am Not a Wolf. It is out today. Check it out wherever you can get uh, your books. Dan is so funny. Uh, both his Twitter accounts are hilarious. I, this book is going to be phenomenal. If you want to learn more about us, you can always reach out at Being Earnest Pod on all social media. Um, you can also go to, you can email us at beingearnestpod at gmail.com. Also, uh, buy our card game, No Wrong Answers, nowronganswersgame.com, or check out our social media, which uh, just launched on for No Wrong Answers. That's at No Wrong Answers Game, and that's mostly on Instagram right now, a little bit on Facebook. Um, and so you can check that out, and we'll be having more updates as things happen. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. Thank you, as always, to Ryan Cruz for our beautiful logo. You can find her on Instagram at at RB Cruiser. And thank you to our buddy Dylan Dutch for our wonderful theme song. You can find his music project, Death Love, wherever you listen to music. We love it. And until next week, just remember, Scabby the Rat is there to protect unions. <laughs> I want to buy one. We can talk about it later. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a good week. <laughs>